Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron, and with me for tonight's conversation is a very special first-time guest, my friend Mr. Kevin Brackett from the Real Spoilers Podcast. Hey, Aaron. Happy to be here. I am so glad that you're here. I'm excited to finally get to collaborate with you on something. We've talked about it for months and months and months. And I, seriously, I appreciate you stepping in for this episode since Patrick couldn't be here. Absolutely. I Like I said, I've, I've, I'm excited for the opportunity and we've talked about it for a while. And uh, I'm glad that you just reached out and did it because, I mean, I've got a super busy schedule, especially this week with the film festival in town. But I was like, OK, I'm going to be all wrapped up by the time we need to record so I can see the movie. I saw it a couple days ago and can record tonight after the festival. So this is great. Awesome. Well, Veterans Day is of particular significance for me since I am a vet myself. And having spent 15 plus years in the Navy, this film story is extra important to me. <laughs> and it feels like the perfect fit for this episode that is going to be put out on Veterans Day. One quick note, listeners. If you hear scratchiness in my voice, if you experience me having to pause or cough or whatever, I apologize, but I had the opportunity to attend the MLS Cup final today. My Seattle Sounders uh, took home the championship, winning against the Toronto FC, and I am extremely tired from that experience. It was amazing. Um, I now can say I've been to a professional sports championship match, which is probably once in a lifetime opportunity for me um but yeah my voice is it's I'll do nice my i like it it's like uh, we're, we're recording kind of late at night at least for me and so you've got like the dulcet tones of aaron coming at you i'll try yeah <laughs> <laughs> like the radio guys from the, the yeah. radio djs well listeners as always uh your spoiler warning we talk in full spoilers on this show because we like to get into the themes the emotional impacts of the movies and such so if you haven't seen midway the film that we are reviewing today please Go out and see it. Take a vet. If you have a veteran in your family, encourage them to go see it and take them along. Rotten Tomatoes will have you believe that this is not a good movie, but pretty much everyone in our Facebook group that has gone to see it has said the exact opposite and fallen more in line with me, which is being a fan. I don't think Kevin and I, either one, are probably going to try and sell you on it being a masterpiece of any kind, but it is a good time at the movies, and you won't waste having spent your money. Well, we always like to start with our one-word takeaways and usually our guest goes first but because of what they are i'm gonna kick this one off you know i'm gonna do take some of that little vet privilege i guess and go first my one word takeaway is values like many organizations the navy has a set of guiding principles and we call them our core values they are honor courage and commitment and i'm not going to bore you with a long explanation of what each of those mean but they were really on my mind watching Midway because this is a story about a battle that was more than just revenge for Pearl Harbor, although clearly that was a motivating factor and understandably so, but it was also about control of the Pacific and the U S had to overcome a stunning amount of obstacles in order to emerge victorious. Personally, I never get tired of this stuff, Kevin. And so I just have to say that I may be completely biased here, and at least I'm being honest about where I'm coming from, so <laughs> listeners, you can judge that for yourself, but 
you know, watching the Navy operate as the focal point of a film for two and a half hours brought me so much pride. And it reminded me of the two decades of my life that I spent serving. And I just love remembering these stories of brave men and women, real life heroes, and seeing them exhibit those core values of honor, courage, and commitment was really inspiring to me. Yeah. And the thing, the thing about that, and you mentioned this, you might be biased and all that, but this movie is right in your wheelhouse and different people are always going to connect differently to films based on their personal experiences. And so I wouldn't expect anything less from you. This movie is going to mean something different to you and to other veterans than it will to the casual viewer. But there's nothing wrong with that. And it's, you know, movies are made for different people. And, and that's the beauty of film in general. Well, what did your one word takeaway come out as? I'm really intrigued to find this out because we haven't talked about the movie at all. So I don't know what you thought. I hopefully this doesn't go really south on me. <laughs> yeah, I'm here to just trash this entire movie. Surprise. No, I'm glad that you mentioned the core values of the Navy because that's a perfect segue into my one word takeaway, which was honor. As soon as I saw this film, it reminded me of the great sacrifice of the men and women of the armed forces. And especially when you see these scenes, uh, that was the key word that, that I took away was the honor on display. Surprisingly, we see that not only from the American side, but we also see it from the Japanese, which I was not expecting that perspective in the film. Uh, but we see the honor of the men fighting for their country, fighting for their friends, fighting for what they believe in. And in the face of danger and facing possible death, they continue to do what they believe in and, and they're honor bound by these beliefs and, and the promise that they made to their country. And, uh, that it, it was really striking and, uh, on full display in this film. Well, that's pretty cool. I, I like how that worked out. <laughs> <laughs> so we just need two more people on the podcast and they can take courage and commitment and we'll have it all covered. Exactly. Well, listeners, one quick other note before we get started into the main conversation. Um, I want to ask for a little bit of grace. We're going to do our best connecting names and actors, but this film has a very large ensemble cast and it's really easy to get confused with ranks and names and actors. So bear with us. We appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> this is not my strong suit either, especially with with names and there's so many characters getting thrown at you and I will be the first to admit that this is uh, I am not extremely versed in this battle and I've actually gone and watched some things like History Channel stuff to just make sure that I understand it more so yeah this is uh, this is definitely uh, something that I'm going to need a little leeway on excellent and I think our listeners will give you that in fact they do that for Patrick all the time he's terrible <laughs> with names absolutely okay awful sometimes we do notes and we'll just have like a list of names and characters so that he can remember who people were so it's totally perfect fine. midway was written by a navy veteran his name is west took and as far as i could tell this is his first major writing credits definitely his first feature film and they also got a lot of advice from department of defense historians who helped from start to finish and the whole goal uh from emmerich all the way down to the rest of the crew was that they wanted to do justice to, quote, the integrity, accountability, and toughness of everyone involved in the real 1942 battle. He's also stated, Emmerich, in interviews that maintaining accuracy for this event was of paramount importance to him. So my first really question thing I wanted to talk to you about was, especially from your perspective, do you think that 
his desire to maintain accuracy showed in the way that the film's events were handled. And on a bigger note, do you think that it's important? Because this is a conversation that I think comes up frequently in our Facebook group and online and social media channels when biopics or historical films come out. People want to talk about whether or not they should be accurate. And I'm just curious how you land on that. I really did appreciate the way that he handled this film. And he even said in interviews that I watched myself that that uh, it was different because he could he didn't have as much room to play. He was talking about real people and real events. And so he didn't get to just, quote unquote, change the ending as he normally would be able to do with a film. And uh, I, I did appreciate how he took these real people and highlighted them and and at the end of the movie, they did the thing where they freeze frame on on the actors playing them and then give a photo of the real person and explained a little bit about what what happened after the battle and, and their, you know, all their uh, commendations and everything uh, that I'm sure we'll get into later. So I really liked that they used real people and they decided to wrap the story around them. It just added this whole extra layer uh, that, uh, you know, narratives don't always get into and. I think it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. The only reason being that you don't have that leeway. He didn't sometimes telling a story, uh, you know, sometimes you make these changes because it makes a film flow better. It makes it more dramatic. It's it just better for a film in general. And so maybe it made things more difficult for them at times. Uh, but also, again, there's a level of appreciation there with them m- touting the the real heroes of this story. Yeah, I thought it really stood out to me as a superhero story about real people. And we get, you know, movies about actual superheroes, Marvel, DC, frequently, one a month sometimes, it feels like, <laughs> this time of year and this this time of the, our lives. But this felt like people who were accomplishing those same things, only they really happened. And... Emmerich actually specifically said in one interview that he didn't want to triumph things like he didn't want the audience to cheer in scenes where a lot of people were dying. So he didn't want that to be something people were saying, yes, you know, we're so happy that hundreds and hundreds of Japanese are losing their lives at this attack or that the Pearl Harbor scenes were so, quote unquote, cool that we get distracted by that and forget about the actual impact of that and how many Americans lost their lives during that attack. And so I really appreciated it um, wholeheartedly. One of the naval directors from the historical command that was advising them said that he considers this the most realistic movie about naval combat ever made. And I, for one, have always wanted this. I I have a letterbox list that particular it's called it's, called I'm on a boat because I was trying to be <laughs> funny, but it's all about ships or not um, films that take place or have a large portion of that film that takes place on a ship of some kind. And there just aren't a ton of Navy movies. And I, I get it. You know, Naval combat in and of itself is hard to film because especially once we hit in the world war two era, Navy ships don't actually fight each other side by side anymore. Uh, this is not pirates who come alongside and swing over and, you know, start doing sword battles. Most of naval combat is fought from a distance. You know, it's all about, like, hitting a button in a dark room and watching the missile fly 50 miles onto shore and blowing something up, which is not a compelling thing to watch in a movie. But 
the air aspect of this battle allowed them to make it in a way that is, you know, displaying what it was like back then. And so I, I just really appreciated getting to see it personally, because we don't have a lot of it. But yeah, the accuracy for me was a big, big deal. And I do want to talk about some of the specific things a little bit later, but there are moments in this movie where things happened that I literally rolled my eyes and said, okay, that's one of the Hollywood embellishments. That's that's ridiculous. I mean, okay, that's cool, but whatever. I went and looked it up, Kevin, and that thing is ex- is true. Like, it happened. Wow. And I'm just like, okay, holy cow. They really did take this seriously. One of the things that's not true, uh, for sure, is the landings by Dick Best, the uh, pilot, Ed Scrine, that we kind of follow throughout the film. I was going to ask, because when I watched that, I'm like, that doesn't physically look possible. The dip underneath and like yes, suddenly I'm like, it looks, like, he's, not... looks like an elevator jumps him up or something. Okay, I'm like you can't do that. Like if you're down that low there's no way you can hop up like that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they referred to that as their Top Gun moment which made perfect sense because they were sort of playing off of Maverick buzzing the tower um, but they talked about how uh, in some of these interviews I was reading the Navy did, uh, they talked about how you know, he would have immediately been grounded and lost his yeah. wings had he tried anything of the sort like that. Because you're not only putting people's lives in jeopardy and your own, and don't forget, you're technically like property of the Navy kind of at this point. But that plane is a, you know, very expensive piece of equipment that right. doesn't doesn't just get replaced. That's one of the things about this whole battle that is fascinating to me in World War Two in general you got to remember that when Pearl Harbor happens and we lose all of these ships, these aren't materials that can be just like popped out on an assembly line. It takes months, it takes years to replenish a fleet, right? So that's why we went into the battle so undermanned and outnumbered uh, to begin with. Um, and so, yeah, so they would not uh, uh, let him take so many risks with that plane. <laughs> uh, but it was cool. It's cool to see. And, you know, you knew it was, it was one of those things where you knew it was going to pay off. When he does it at the beginning, I think. Sure. You're like, oh, that's going to happen again when it matters. And, you know, <laughs> so that was like, a uh, OK. But I'm wondering, did any of the characters come off super goofy to you? I've heard a lot of criticisms that I've, I've seen the word goofy. I've seen the word cookie cutter stock, um, just stereotypical. I mean, Dennis Quaid is pretty big in this movie, and I don't know. Uh, about, you know, the, the actual man that he's playing. I mean, I don't know how much research he did and maybe, uh, for this, uh, William Bull Halsey, maybe he, he did have a personality that was that big, but, uh, that was really the only one that struck me as being a little goofy just because it seemed like, yeah, I'm going to try to be this big, gruff military commander. And I, I don't know. I don't ne- necessarily like what he was doing there. And then I, I guess it's just hard for me. Ed Screen, I, I just, Whenever you get a, a British actor playing an American, and especially when they're trying to do a really heavy New York accent, uh, that didn't always work for me. And I, I definitely wouldn't say goofy. I, I think he was definitely putting a lot of effort into it and everything. But um, it was a bit distracting for me, especially because I know his British accent. And, and so that was uh, one of those things that just, I don't know, it pulled away from that character a little bit for me. That's fair. I I can see that. That's one of those criticisms where I can understand what people are trying to express. 
but it didn't bother me. And and also it kind of goes back to the whole discussion. I don't even think we we had. I think we kind of ended up skimming over it. But the idea of do these films need to be historically accurate in order to be good? Should they be historically accurate? Um, and for me, the reason that there is a stereotype of how sailors acted during World War II is because that's how sailors acted during World War II, right? Like this is not unheard of for them to talk the way they did, for them to carry them with themselves the way they did. And I personally appreciated that because I've been out to sea. I have dealt with some of the situations that we see, not the battle side, but on board a ship and dealing with decision making. And so I understand how these people communicate with each other, what it's like to have a brotherhood with people that you are out in the middle of the ocean with for maybe two, three, four months at a time and you don't see land. You develop a certain way of communicating that may come off kind of cheesy and it lacked melodrama at a lot of a lot of times and i think that's what people were also pointing out but you know i've been in real life situations and i can tell you there's not a lot of melodrama we don't stop to just you know have some music play and have a you know soliloquy or a monologue of kind of oh think about what's going on You're, you're taking action you know i think back to the attacks on the world trade center and I was actually in a small Middle Eastern country called Bahrain at the time, right off of Saudi Arabia. And I was in a small boat unit. And what we did is we had these little small rib boats and we would patrol the pier and protect it from uh, potential attacks and bombs. So this was specifically put into effect after the bombing of the USS Cole. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was... Uh, a destroyer that had a small boat come up next to it that said it was going to be refueling and it blew up the side of the boat um, and the ship and you know killed quite a few Navy sailors, put the ship out of commission. So we were in place to protect things like that. And I had just come off of the water. I was a small boat gunner and that's when the towers uh, were hit. And I think about something like that and how it would be portrayed in a movie that most people are thinking, right? This very somber, serious kind of thing. But it's not really like that. I mean, we were still, we were talking like sailors and yeah. there's a lot of cussing and a lot of anger and there's a lot of treating each other, you know, and, and making jokes and poking fun at each other. That stuff just kind of is natural. So it didn't bother me. But I think that's because I have context. Well, the relationship between the these people, I mean, the main characters in this movie, and they bounce around. There are a lot of characters, but that bond, that relationship that they share, the ribbing, the just the joking around, and all that. I mean, I think, I mean, even being a civilian and not being in the armed forces, I I can relate to that. Just with your friends, you goof around, you're you're with your buddies, and and you you poke fun at each other, and you have a obviously a strong bond with your closest friends and your family. They've, they've formed this family uh, over these years they've been together. Um, but so to me, that didn't take me out of it at all. I, I, I think that was very true to the way that people would act. And so I'm glad to hear you say that uh, and your share your experience because I, I, that, that didn't take me out of it at all. You know, I think, I think maybe a little bit of the script, I mean, the screenplay being written by a first time writer, that's where you're going to fall into that. 
It shows. It, 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 it is shows. polished. Yeah, like like you said that you know that you found out or you know that the, you believe it's his first time, and it's like, yeah, I, I definitely can see that. Um, it shows, but also I think that where you benefit uh, is in the uh, tactical stuff, and they obviously did a lot of research and had people, uh, the historians, to help them along with it, and so. The, the dramatic parts are the lacking in melodrama, as you're saying. I, you know, I didn't connect with that as much, but when it got to the tactical stuff and the action scenes, and that's really where Roman, uh, Roland Emmerich excels and, and he has so much experience with that. And I was totally engaged with the action sequences. Yeah. Oh, I was too. And we're going to get to that for sure. Yeah. Um, the characters played by Patrick Wilson and Woody Harrelson were two very important men and both of them took this very seriously as well this uh, intention for accuracy both of them sought out on their own times to spend with navy sailors to get a sense of what it was like to do the jobs that their characters did and to find out what people in the navy in general thought about those men um, which i thought was really cool and it was encouraging to see that actors were doing that without being directed to um, by the director it just, I mean, I know that we see it all that it's part of their preparation. Um, and probably many actors would do this, but um, I was pleased to see that they did it in something like a blockbuster, right? Yeah. You know, but you might not be as inclined to do something like that, but they took it very seriously. And it, I think it showed one thing I did want to ask you about with goofy characters. So John Ford shows up in this movie and for, uh, film fans uh, who have, some classic film understanding and knowledge. You know, John Ford is one of the most prolific directors ever to live. He's made well over a hundred movies and probably a hundred plus with John Wayne alone. It feels like, but he is one of many directors who were part of the world war two, um, fight who had to stop working in Hollywood, do something for the war and then come back. I mentioned this on our episode last week that we did on Memphis Bell, but there's a documentary on Netflix. I hope it's still there. I haven't checked. It's called Five Came Back, and it came out last year. I think it's four-part series, but it's about these five directors and their experiences in World War II, and it's fascinating. I highly recommend it for anyone. It would be a great watch on Veterans Day um, for film fans because it ties in this service with their careers and how it you know, affected them afterwards and, and of course, before what what they were doing before. So I want to talk about this for a second. That's why he was in this movie, because he actually was an officer in the U.S. Naval Reserve, and he was tasked with making documentary films for the Navy during World War II. Um, Admiral Nimitz, at Admiral Nimitz's request, he was stationed on Midway during the battle. And he actually suffered a quote-unquote bomb concussion and a gunshot wound during the raid, just as we see in the movie. Um, U.S. Marines gave him first aid, but the quote from someone on site was that he did not leave his station until he had completed his photographic mission. And his footage of the battle, um, and specifically the B-17s, bombing appeared in this film called the battle of midway it's about an 18 minute documentary short it won an oscar that year it is available on youtube if you follow me on social media i've posted it in the last week as well but you can find it i highly recommend watching it 
And he went on to lead the photographic unit for uh, the precursor to the CIA, which is called the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, for the remainder of the war. A fascinating story. And so I think that's one of those things that can be jarring to people who don't know this. If you just see John Ford show up in the movie and you're like, what the heck is happening right now? <laughs> How did it go over for you? Did you know this history at all? I had no idea. That's fascinating. And, and I didn't really, I didn't really even think twice about it, but that is really great. And I want to learn more about that. I've actually never seen that documentary. I heard, I've heard of it. I know the title of that and I never had the chance to see it. So I'm definitely going to seek that out and uh, probably try to watch that on Veterans Day. Yeah. I highly recommend it. It is really, really good. And it's all directors that you're going to recognize and know. And you're going to be like, whoa, that guy was in World War. He did what? I mean, Ford's is, you know, a little bit special yeah. uh, because it just it was such a big deal. Uh, but I just thought that was such a cool touch to include him, you know? Yeah, he, he didn't have to put him in there at all. I mean, that is a small thing that isn't going to be necessarily appreciated. If you don't know, like like for me, I didn't know the story, so I couldn't appreciate it. But to know that now, I think that's really neat. And uh, I think it's little touches like that, that when we talk about historical accuracy, it it, it, it elevates the movie a bit. Yeah, I think so, too. I think it helps. What I would say is it helps offset some of the blockbusterness <laughs> that sure. you know is going to come with someone like Roland Emmerich making a movie. It's part of the reason that I get kind of frustrated when I see critics absolutely trashing this movie. You went to a Roland Emmerich movie. So on some level, you have to judge the movie by what the director is trying to do. Was the director successful in doing what the director was trying to do? Not what the director or not what you wanted the director to do. You know what I mean? And that's a really hard thing for critics to try and evaluate and to find that line between how to consider a movie versus what I felt about it or what I liked versus what I think the intention was and whether I'm or not a huge, that succeeded. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of that. I've always, I, I talk about that all the time about is the movie accomplishing what it sets out to do? That That is a hard thing, like you said, to to pull yourself away from. But there's so many different movies, so many different types of movies, and all these different people making them. And it, it isn't always about your personal feelings. Uh, you know, I, I, I always try to look at things like that, uh, especially in genre pictures. Uh, and, and uh, you know, sometimes the critics will come out really hard on a movie and I'll be like, that's, I mean, I think they nailed it on the head exactly what they wanted. And, and, uh, so I always try to have a perspective like that on films, no matter what type they are. Well, one of those such things is the way that the American war films typically portray the villains. And I say villains, meaning our opponents. Sure. In this case, Japan or Admiral Yamamoto, who was in charge of the Battle of Midway on their side. I wondered how you felt about the approach by Emmerich because he specifically wanted to show respect for the Japanese. And I wondered if that came through for you and if it did or didn't, how did it make you feel? Did it impact you emotionally at all? Absolutely. It did come through. And that was one of the surprises, as I think I touched on earlier. I did not expect to see that side. I mean, this is coming off of Pearl Harbor, which people are, of course, familiar with. And we've seen films on Pearl Harbor. I think they focus on that more. But when I saw this movie and the turning point for the war, I'm thinking this is a big rah-rah, go America movie. Like, they're not going to show a perspective from the Japanese. It's They're the enemy. Why would they even try to touch on that? And 
when we saw that viewpoint and the, the, the honor of those soldiers and what they were trying to accomplish, um, I thought that was really neat that they did that. Um, because you, you touched on this earlier, Aaron, that, you know, they are the, the enemy or the quote unquote villain because, you know, they're trying to kill our soldiers. So they automatically become the villain. Um, but the fact that it's, it's hard to, to cheer for things about hundreds or thousands of deaths, you know, you're still killing these people with families and, and, you know, and a lot of these people are just doing their job. It's not like they're the ones deciding these things. They're soldiers. They're out there fighting. Uh, and, and some of them don't even have choices. And so I think it's always interesting to get that, that other viewpoint. And, um, I thought he did a really good job of handling it. Um, it was surprising, but much appreciated how they showed that side. I agree wholeheartedly. I really did appreciate it as well. And, like I said earlier, just not letting me root for the Japanese destruction. Yeah. Like actually feeling the cost to both sides and realizing that war is not something we should be happy about just because we came out on the winning side of one battle. Right. And I think that's also part of why he made it such an intention to show the entire series of effects going from Pearl Harbor leading all the way to Midway and not just saying, hey, this happened, we all know what happened, but now let's get to the revenge, because then it feels more like a revenge. But when you are seeing the way that we see the Japanese dealing with their own, right, and understanding how what kind of pressures that they're facing, it's tough sometimes, because, you know, they wanted to make the world their empire, so obviously we're against that. But there's on some level just always going to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people and soldiers and sailors like myself on both sides who are simply committed to being a part of their country's service, whatever that country says for them to do. So the Japanese bomber that is plowing his plane into an American carrier deck is not choosing to do so necessarily because he hates the Americans. He's choosing to do so because he was given an order to do so in many cases. Yeah. And those are the people that die. And it's tragic, you know, for both sides. And, and of course, there are some scenes that definitely paint them as villains, I would say. But there's also some realism to that stuff. So uh, I just definitely appreciate it. And I think tone setting, the very opening scene, I almost wish we would have had more like that. That dramatic yeah. entrance between Patrick Wilson's um, Commander Layton, the intelligence officer, and Yamamoto was awesome. Patrick Wilson's so good in everything, though. I'm I'm a yeah. big Patrick Wilson Isn't fan. He? I he really is, and I I think he elevates this film. I mean, this is a film with a lot of big names in it, but Patrick Wilson and his performance, I just I I think he really takes it up a notch, and I appreciated that. And any more of Patrick Wilson and, and those kind of scenes would have been appreciated. But yeah, after that, it does take kind of a tonal shift and, and they, I mean, there's a lot of characters to be introduced to. So it's, it's kind of hard to fault them because they're moving. You've got to get to all these different commanders and, uh, and, and, and then all these, um, you know, subsequent characters. I mean, we're talking about, you've got Mandy Moore in this movie, right? You know, playing, playing the wife of the main character. Uh, and so it's like, you've got to have all these little side stories and everything. So I can understand why. And they didn't want to make it a three and a half hour movie to, you know, get more of those scenes. But, but you're right. It was so good that you were kind of hoping to get a little bit more of those, um, you know, that type of uh, performance you can sink your teeth into. Well, it's 
interesting you would mention that because that is exactly what I thought as well. I, you know, I would have liked more time with this, which is crazy. I mean, I know most audience members wouldn't have gone to see it had it been longer, and that's probably why it didn't get longer. But because of the way that they were handling it, I would have loved a three-hour movie that added a little bit more to the drama and probably extended some of the operations that we saw. So because, like I said, it goes from Pearl Harbor to Battle of Midway, it touches on these moments that happen in between Battle of the Coral Sea, um, the Doolittle Raid, which is famous. And they just, they don't get their due. For me, I felt like, like this film is not winning an editing award. <laughs> I felt, <laughs> I felt like scenes ended abruptly. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, that's over. And we're like, like literally it just felt like almost like somebody just changed a piece of tape to <laughs> a new moment. There was no transition and we were moving on. That was one of my problems with it. And I think that link longer would have helped it in that regard. Um, or I guess making it shorter and taking those things out, but I enjoyed seeing those things. So. Yeah. I, I, you know, those were definitely supplementary things. I mean, I think it's nice that they included them just to give, uh, a little bit of background because I mean the movie's called Midway that's their focus and they wanted to show the Battle of Midway and what all went into it and why it was such a huge turning point and and the importance and and of course the sacrifice uh, of these people and and I I agree with you it would have been interesting to learn more about these other things but again they I think they did a service to the people going to learn about Midway and they didn't want to make it this huge epic it was just like let's focus on Midway and so. I guess I can appreciate that on the other side. You know, I'm, I'm torn on that. Yeah, I, I really feel like they got caught in the middle. Yeah. Uh, between doing what you're saying fully and then doing what I'm yeah. kind of wanting fully, they kind of got stuck there in the middle ground. And it it's a little bit lesser of a movie because of that overall. But obviously still enjoyable. Uh, is there anything else that well, – I'm going to ask you three questions. Is there anything else that would have made the movie better for you? And did anybody stand out to you? In particular. And also, you touched on Mandy Moore, so I gotta ask you about her. What did you think about her role? You know, the Mandy Moore role, I'll start with that. It's, it's just kind of a thankless role. I, I mean, she was fine in it, and I like Mandy Moore. Uh, she's been in some films that I've, I've really enjoyed. But I, I thought she was fine in this, but I, I don't know, the, the army wife, she doesn't really, she doesn't, she didn't really get anything to do to, to stand out. She didn't really get to, play that interesting of a character i feel like that was kind of the stereotypical you know i I said army wife a navy wife a soldier's wife is what i mean just you know i there wasn't really much to do there for her so i didn't i didn't even know she was in the movie and i saw her like that's mandy moore okay um so for me it it was just take it or leave it it was it was fine um so i wanted to give context to that okay please the reason that she's there and and what I completely understand that from your perspective, but she is playing the quote unquote stereotypical Navy wife. And for people in the Navy, the Navy wife for Navy men is a big deal. And for one thing, this is the only way you get women in this movie because women weren't in the Navy in World War II. So if you want to have them, they got to be the wives. The thing is that this is what Navy wives are commended for. On a regular basis, they make sacrifices. They take care of things at home. Their husbands come home and go back to work and they're frustrated because they just want to spend some time together and they go make Patrick Wilson a sandwich. Yeah. Because, but that's the thing is it's showing audiences the importance of that 
because behind every good, you know, married Navy man is a Navy wife who is making sacrifices that allow him to go and do the things that he does and not have to worry about the things back home so he can focus on accomplishing those tasks. And I thought that it showed that really well, but that's because I have so much, you know, experience with Navy wives having had a couple myself. Um, <laughs> sure. But, you know, knowing so many of them, they play such an important role. And I thought that they did a great service to that. And I really love her one kind of big moment she gets where she just sits down to his commander and she's like, why isn't he getting promoted? Like, what? <laughs> why aren't you doing? Why wouldn't he, Why aren't you promoting my husband? Bro, I have seen this happen and it is awkward and it is <laughs> really frustrating. But when they do this, you know, like she's petitioning for her husband. Do you think she would have done that back in? The early 40s, though, do you think that that, that's the only time period? Yes, time period considerations. You're right. That does feel like a much, much more modern (laughs) thing. So I've experienced it. But the last 15, 20 years, I I will concede that a much different time than the. But, you know, I probably would have. I get it. And it's a nice touch, especially updated. But we're talking we talked earlier, historical accuracy versus you know, the fictional stuff to make a better movie that, you know, the, the Navy wife speaking up to, you know, for her husband and all that, that makes a great dramatic turn, but would that be historically accurate? But that's not, it's not ruining the movie. That little, that's a tiny little thing. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think that obviously women play such an important role and how, what they do show through her and the other Navy wives is how tough that would be to, every day for i mean or when your husband leaves and not knowing if he's going to come back and waiting for him to come back and then he does and then he's like i gotta go and you don't know if he's going to come back and especially with kids and oh it's it's terrible and i i guess i just feel like oh we've seen this so many times in every other war movie but um they didn't handle it worse here and it's not that it the, the people and the characters are it's not that they're not important i just I guess I just wish there would have been something more she could have done because she's such a capable actress. Totally fair. Totally fair. What about anybody else? Anybody else like stand out to you? I mean, I like Luke Evans. I'm a big Luke Evans fan. I mean, that's another, uh, you know, another guy doing his, uh, American accent thing. And I, I think he's much better at it, but, uh, um, I, I thought Luke Evans was really good just because he's such a charismatic guy and his, uh, McCluskey, he was a really important real life person in the war. Like they, they tout his actions and his instinct and in being a turning point. And so like he was an, of the utmost importance um, that I think is Nimitz, the, the Woody Harrelson character in, in real yep, life. That's like, correct. Nimitz says that, I mean, that his decision when they were running low on fuel, you see this in the film, but that's not even a dramatization. That's really what happened. You know, I went and I watched the history channel thing. I wanted to see how accurate this movie was. And wow, the stuff that I saw on the History Channel specials and all that, I mean, it's, it's right there. And like, yeah, he, he's like, they're running low on fuel. They could have totally ran out and he made the decision. I'm going to go, you know, find those, those carriers and him doing that and taking them out. That was, that was huge. So, um, I thought he did a really good job. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Patrick Wilson, like I mentioned, I mean, Woody Harrelson, he's always good, but, Woody Harrelson with with a uh, bad wig always kind of freaks me out. <laughs> like we're so used to Woody Harrelson with no hair, and and uh, that that wig wasn't doing him any favors. <laughs> it was distracting. I mean, that's right? the problem. The problem was it was distracting, and I think that it his performance and he he wasn't given a lot to do. And if I had yeah. another complaint, that was probably one of it because he's freaking Admiral Nimitz. I mean, this is. <laughs> This is like one of the pantheon. This is like a, a Mount Rushmore of the naval history character that he's playing. 
and he doesn't have a lot to do. And you're right. And, he, and even what he does have to do, it's just distracting because it's just wasted. Yeah. He's blonde and hair and it's weird. <laughs> and uh, I was, I was, I was unfortunately let down by that part. I yeah. Mean, I just didn't think he was, that was a character that had enough oomph to him. I, I wondered if, I mean, so Woody Harrelson lives in Hawaii. They filmed this in Hawaii. And I wonder if like that was how they were able to get him was like, you know, he had limited time and he lives there. So maybe we can give him just minor things to do to get him into this movie. And he wanted to be a part of it. I don't know. I'm speculating. It's just, yeah, I was a little let down because he's such a good actor and he didn't impress me with this role. Uh, I, I really think that they could have given him more to do. And especially because of the history of the, the man, like, yeah, you want that to be this huge commanding role. Is there anything else that the movie would have done better for you? No, I, I, you know, honestly, I was more interested in the action. I, once I got into it, I thought that just the look of it, I thought that the, it, it felt very realistic. The, the things that these planes are doing, um, the, the tactics, the, you know, and, and I'm not any, I'm not a war buff. I'm not like an utmost expert in, in these type of things. But to me in the audience, everything I was watching felt pretty realistic. You know, I mean, we see enough movies where we can tell when something looks fake or, uh, and that could be from a CG standpoint or from a like, Oh, planes can't really do that kind of standpoint. And I was really engaged with it. Once I got into the action of the movie, I was, I was there, I was locked in. Um, so I really thought, I thought it was good. Um, you know, this is, we didn't mention yet, but this is the, I believe the largest independent film, ever made it had a 100 million dollar budget outside of the studio system which is insane of Uh, which emmerich did you do you know this emmerich had to cut his salary he has not said how much he said by a significant amount in order to get to the amount of money he needed to make the movie wow yeah i mean and, and hats off for him for making that sacrifice i read that he's been trying to make this movie since the 90s like that's amazing. And, and the studios laughed at him when he had a hundred million dollar budget in the nineties, which I mean, factor in inflation. I think he wanted something like 120 million in the nineties and they laughed at him. And now he did it for a hundred million in 2019. So hats off for him for getting it made. But to my point, I mean, this is an independent film, which sounds crazy uh, because it has the look of a big budget blockbuster. If you would have asked me, I would have said, I don't know, 200 million because that's the type of budget that it seems like these movies get. So it was a lot of movie on screen. It was all up there for a hundred million. Um, but with that, there are sacrifices by, by having that small of a budget. I say small because it's a huge movie, but, uh, you know, things like the green screen and the CG is a little wonky at times. But once you get used to that, once you get acclimated to the world you're playing in and, and you can adjust to it again, I was engaged with the action uh, and I thought a lot of it looked really good. I did too. I really did. Uh, you know, this is, definitely the biggest production value we've ever had for naval battle scenes so i was just geeking out i mean i was you know nudging my buddy who was with me all the whole time my mouth was agape um especially during the aerial combat scenes they so first of all i'll go on record as admitting this a little bit embarrassed but you know we've known that most of us have heard the term dive bomber our entire lives for some reason, Kevin, I never actually thought about what that meant. I never envisioned what it actually looked like for someone to dive bomb. The fact that these planes had to literally go almost straight down. They, they are diving into anti-aircraft fire. And 
praying they don't get hit, and then lining up to drop a bomb and pull out of that before running into something or, <laughs> again, getting shot down, it's insane. It's and impossible. It's, it's like, no it, wonder it, it, so many of them get shot down, right? I mean, yeah. that kind of warfare is wild to see. And the just intensity of the way that they shot them being in the cockpit as they were heading straight down, I was freaking out like, the whole time. Oh, and I love the fact that they show you how many times they miss because people don't understand when you're flying a plane. I don't know from experience, obviously, but I have an understanding of physics. And when you're flying at that speed and you're also ducking in and out of gunfire and and you're trying to hit something like it's not like as easy as, oh, well, I'm over the ship. So let me press the drop button and it goes straight down. You're flying at high speeds. You have to judge when to release a bomb and and you know judge your speed and everything so i like the fact that they didn't make it just easy it's not like they all just flew over and dropped the bombs and yay we won like yeah you'd have a lot of misses like they have to judge that stuff and that is what helped add to the authenticity was actually showing how difficult it it made it seem and uh showing that it wasn't like a first try type of attempt completely completely agree and even torpedoes so that's historically accurate. We had significant issues with our torpedoes during that time in history. They were not exploding. They weren't working against the Japanese ships. And we saw that in the movie. That was another thing that you think is probably Hollywood. You're like, oh, they're just adding ale up to the drama by having the stupid torpedo somehow not blow up. That's dumb. Nope. They just didn't blow up sometimes. In <sighs> fact, in fact, quite often they didn't blow up. You know, those subs that shot and missed. That's not just to amp up the drama. That's because that's what happened. They were close, but they missed. Um, and you just, you, it makes you think about all of the things that they had to overcome. I mentioned briefly that they were outnumbered. So I wanted to give the stats on this for those who are not familiar with the battle. When we went into this, the Japanese had four aircraft carriers, seven battleships. That's a big deal, folks. That's a big, big deal, the battleships. 150 support ships. And 248 aircraft and 15 submarines. That's the enormity of the fleet for the Japanese. Defensively, and I'll, I'll give you the comparing numbers so you don't have to try and remember them since you're <laughs> listening out there. But to their four aircraft carriers, we had three, one of which was the Yorktown. Another thing that you might think was amped up for Hollywood is that the USS Yorktown had been uh, damaged and had to go into dry dock and get fixed. And they were told you have one week to get back out there. The ship did it. And dude, I have gone through many dry dock periods in my life in ships and none of them involved having been attacked and have holes in my boat. And that is insane. But that is literally what happened. You know, tragically, the Yorktown actually ends up being the only carrier that gets um, taken out as well. Uh, ultimately. So it's like a bit of <laughs> a raw deal for them. They are hurt they get in the fight, and then they end up being taken down, too. But, um, yeah, so four carriers to three, seven battleships to zero, because mm. ours were a Pearl Harbor and unavailable, the ones that we had left. 150 support ships to 50, so three to one. 248 carrier aircraft to 233, so pretty close number there. Uh, 15 subs to eight subs. So significantly lower for the U.S. there by half. And then we had 127 land-based aircraft from 
uh, the Midway Atoll base, uh, that were able to join the fight as well. But so the U.S. was incredibly outnumbered. And, and I thought that Emmerich did a fantastic action, sorry, a fantastic job with the action of making that evident that yeah. we were struggling to win this and it, and it cost a lot. It was not easy. And that's where the intelligence comes in. That's the amazing, the amazing work they did. Uh, I mean, we, because of those numbers, we could not have won without that intelligence. And I think that's one of the really interesting things. I mean, it's, it's true. So it's like this dramatic thing of, of getting all this intelligence intercepting these communications, but that's what won the battle for us. And, and I, I think they did a really good job of showing that and, uh, it just like all the forces work together so well. Um, and I was, I was engaged by the story. I, I really did have, I have a good time watching this and, and uh, being on the edge of my seat. I mean, even though we know the outcome, it was fascinating to see how all these things work together. And, and again, fact checking it against the, uh, historical documentaries and specials that I went and watched. I'm like, wow, this movie did a really good job of all these different turning points and, and everything like, what I saw on screen was pretty close to what actually happened. So they did not take many liberties from my understanding. No, they definitely did. I'm glad you mentioned that because we kind of glossed over that and I didn't, I didn't bring it up at all, but the co-breaking is a critical piece clearly. And that's why it's such an intricate part of the storyline as well. We did have co-breakers who figured out where they were trying to attack. And it, it, there's just so many things that could have gone wrong. And, you know, this would have changed the tide of the war completely. And we don't know what would have happened. You know, would this have allowed Japan to truly end up on the shores of California, which we feared at the time? Who knows if that actually would have taken place, but it darn sure would have changed the way that resources were allocated for the rest of the war. Because essentially what this did is by winning, the Japanese, instead of being able to be on the offensive for the rest of the war, they had to go on the defensive and they had to start protecting what they had instead of taking over new territory. Uh, and it just changed everything. And it was so unlikely, so incredible. Um, anyway, I, I just, I loved it. I was glad to get to see it. I had a blast. And, uh, as a military guy specifically, it made me really happy uh, to get a good, a good military movie. Um, whether Rotten Tomatoes agrees with me or not. Whatever. <laughs> That's cool. And I love hearing your perspective and, and being a military guy because, you know, me as a civilian and, and a film critic, you know, I'm looking at things from a different perspective, but I appreciate a lot of that, uh, as you can tell, um, and, and was fascinated by a lot of what I was seeing on screen. Uh, you know, I would have loved a tighter screenplay. I think there were some things they could have done to, you know, up the ante, but, uh, I, I, I think they got the right guy for the action and I think they stayed true to history, which I really appreciate because I, I like that stuff. I like it when there's accurate, accurate things because I'm a fairly logical guy and, and I have a certain suspension of disbelief, but some movies take that to a whole different level and you start, you hate to try to poke holes in a movie when you're trying to watch it and be entertained. Yes, you do. I'm also glad that uh, because of Midway and all of the interviewing that happened with Roland Emmerich, we got to hear him finally say that he is sorry for making Independent Day, <laughs> Independence Day resurgence and that he understands it was a, a failure and a bad idea now. And I appreciate him admitting that. It makes me feel a little bit better. Well, do you know the backstory that he had to change the script? I know that Will Smith was originally on board and that when Will left, he says he should have shot it down. 
Yeah, and he, he had didn't. a yeah he had a whole different movie with Will Smith. Will Smith dropped out, and so he had to write a new script. And like you said, he he said, well, he should have just ended it instead of you know fixing it to to you know do something else. So that's a shame that it went down like that because I mean Will Smith was. I mean, that was a star making role. Will Smith was a, was an actor that people knew, but that Independence Day was really, you know, groundbreaking for him. And I, he made that movie. So by losing him right off the bat, that was, it was a shame. Absolutely. Well, we wrap everything up here on our episodes with our connecting point. And that is kind of the scene or the moment in the movie that you most emotionally connected to or something that resonated with you, something you left the movie thinking about. Um, and I will kick it to you and let you start with yours. Sure. So my my moment came early on, I, I think, when they started talking about numbers and the losses at Pearl Harbor, which obviously that's setting the scene for the Battle of Midway. But that moment when they talk about the losses and how they had family members and friends and, and so many American lives that were lost because of uh, Pearl Harbor and the attack. Uh, it really made me remember, uh, because you know, it's not something I, I think about every day, but it made me remember to be thankful for our, our servicemen, our, our people in the armed forces that are putting their lives on the lives and, and sacrificing everything for us, for our freedoms. And, uh, it, it just, it's just another reminder that people should be thinking about these men and women. And, and I want to thank you for your service, Aaron, because you and, and, and everyone else that's fighting for us, it's, it's so important. And I just don't think that they get the respect, uh, they deserve. And I don't think that they're top of mind awareness as they should be. But these scenes in the movie over and over again, you saw, uh, you know, like when when Ed Screen's character is going into battle and then he comes home and we talked about him talking to Mandy Moore and they've got their family and it's like he has to go right back out. You don't know if you're going to return and your family, your wife, your kids, they don't know if you're going to return, but you've got this duty and you're honor bound and you're doing what you believe in. I don't know, putting that on the line, the line and uh, sacrificing everything. I, I just think that's amazing. And so we should be thankful for our men and women out there risking their lives. And this is a great reminder. When you see any movie that's talking about war and, and these great sacrifices, it reminds you. But I guess this is one of those things that should kind of poke you to don't just remember it when a movie comes out, but keep keep these people uh, at the top of mind. And, and I really thought that was amazing because I think I, I went and looked it up and I remember them mentioning this in the movie. I'm pretty sure they did, but they said after the attack on Pearl Harbor that 2,403 Americans were killed and uh, 1,143 were wounded. And just that type of loss in one event, uh, it's so tragic. And those numbers are huge. And, and that's just one event. And, you know, we've got the whole history of the military that you have to think about how many people have laid their lives on the line. So that stood out to me overall and throughout the movie, that sacrifice. And again, thank you, Aaron, for, for your service. Uh, well, you're welcome. I appreciate that. Thank you for noting that. And, I, and I'm glad that this movie had that effect on you as a civilian and as someone um, who doesn't do this for a living or hasn't ever done this for a living. Um, it, it is a huge sacrifice. We don't, many of us don't talk about it a lot. Uh, and we don't go around asking for thank yous. Um, it's because it's a duty. Like you said, it is a duty kind of deal for us. And, and so, but it takes a lot. Um, and there are challenges to everyday life that are not 
you know, the people not in the military, but there are also, there are definitely some significantly unique ones for those that do serve as well. It's hard. And, um, yeah, I'm glad that, glad that you came away with that. I think that was my hope as well for this movie was that people would really respond to that sacrifice and really understood what it took. We, we'd spent a lot of time on World War II on the land side in the European conflict fighting Germany. Um, and we don't do a lot of the Pacific. And so I appreciate them giving us a chance to look at that. My connecting point is sort of not really movie. I guess it's movie related, but basically I want to leave everyone with a little bit of a lasting impact and importance to some of these real stories. So I'm going to read some citations and talk about that a bit. First thing I wanted to note is that it's fascinating to me that the only Medal of Honor that was awarded um, was to Richard Fleming, and he wasn't even in the movie. Hmm. So this man was a pilot, but he was part of a Marine squadron that was not one of the ones featured in the script. So I guess that's why, and that makes sense. He received the Medal of Honor for very similar actions to Dick Best as Screen's character. Um, because on two separate occasions, he dove lower than they were supposed to um, into the anti-aircraft fire in order to score a hit on the Japanese ships. Because if they went the distance or the height that they were supposed to go, which wasn't going to happen, um, he was able to do that the first time. Uh, the second time, he was not, and it ended up costing him his life. My guess is that he was um, given the Medal of Honor probably because it was posthumous. Um, the others were given other awards like the Navy Cross and the Distinguished Flying Cross. There's two specifically I, I want to cover. Dick Best, Ed Screen's character. So this is what real-life military citations read like, and so I'm going to read it verbatim. The President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting the Navy Cross to Lieutenant Commander Richard Halsey Best. United States Navy, for extraordinary heroism in operations against the enemy while serving as a pilot of a carrier-based Navy dive bomber and squadron commander in bombing Squadron 6, attached to the USS Enterprise during the Air Battle of Midway against Japanese enemy forces on 4th-6 June 1942. Defying extreme danger from concentrated anti-aircraft barrage and powerful fighter opposition, Lieutenant Commander Best, with bold determination and courageous zeal, led his squadron in dive-bombing assaults against Japanese naval units, flying at a distance from his own forces, which rendered return unlikely because of probable fuel exhaustion. He pressed home his attacks, with extreme disregard for his own personal safety. His gallant intrepidity, intrepidity and loyal devotion to duty contributed greatly to the success of our forces, and were in keeping with the highest traditions of United States Naval Service. Again, just hammering home here, everything you just saw in this movie happened. It's not a dramatic license. Uh, Eugene Lindsay, played by Darren Chris, uh, was awarded for very similar actions. Uh, the danger faced by that first wave of torpedo bombers, and he led his pilots uh, in. 14 out of the first 15 Navy planes were shot down, and one pilot survived in a water crash. Um, they went in first and they knew they were going to get shot down, but because of their sacrifice in drawing that fire, the next dive bombing attack was able to be successful. That's, 
Like that's that's powerful stuff, man. Like it is. These men had wives back home. They had babies, kids, moms, dads, all that stuff. But they knew what they were doing and what they were getting into, um, and it was worth it to them. And I just it, that stuff gets to me <laughs> um, because yeah, I always wonder. So. I always want. Always what makes me wonder. You know, like would I have that fortitude to do that? Um, and so I really appreciate it. The other character that I want to talk a bit about here and read his citation is Bruno, uh, Bruno Guido. He's played by Nick Jonas. And actually, it's a really good performance, by the way. He's a good actor. I, I was surprised. Yeah. Um, this is one where, this is the one where I told you earlier, my jaw kind of dropped and I was like, come on, man, this is not real. And I had to go look it up. But I'm going to read this. This is real. The President of the United States of America takes pleasure in presenting the Distinguished Flying Cross to aviation machinist mate, first class, Bruno P. Guido, United States Navy, for extraordinary achievement while participating in aerial flight as gunner of an airplane in a scouting squadron in action against Japanese forces in the Battle of Midway. With heroic and meritorious devotion to duty, he rendered valuable assistance to his pilot by detailing continuous, specific, and comprehensive information concerning the disposition and movements of enemy Japanese units. His courage and cool determination carrying out this vital task in the face of furious and repeated attacks in keeping with the highest traditions of the United States Navy. So they were highlighting his tracking ability, which was very key in us being able to actually find <laughs> their fleet. Because we almost didn't, um, but luckily we did. But the part that really blew me away is this. When a badly damaged Japanese plane attempted to crash land on the aircraft carrier Enterprise. Do you remember this scene? Yeah. Do you remember how crazy it looked? Guido sprinted across the deck, jumped into a parked bomber, swiveled the 30 caliber machine guns, and opened fire. The relentless barrage redirected the plane from a direct hit on the carrier, but the suicide mission spun into Guido's plane, dramatically cutting it in two, somehow not injuring him. The advisor, uh, Cox, in an interview said, that's one of those movie moments where you might go, oh, that's a Hollywood whopper, but it's actually true. And I, that was the one, man. I was like, wow. that can't be real. But it was. Unbelievable. I, I, I remember that too. And I'm like, what? Like that, it seemed insane for it to split in two like that. Wow. Absolutely. Um, and he was actually spot promoted, uh, by Admiral Halsey, who witnessed the jaw dropping spectacle. And what they don't show in the movie is that Guido actually hid after shooting the plane down. He, he ran away and tried to um, hide from everyone because he was afraid he was going to get in trouble for leaving his battle station. And they had to hunt him down and bring him to Admiral Halsey. Wow. But that, to me, like, that's realistic. That it doesn't surprise me at all. Like, you – and they kind of touched on that. Like, they joked with them about leaving their stations, right? And th they show, like, sometimes men did that. Because they reacted. He reacted. Um, and in doing so, he saved whoever knows how many more lives. And this one is made especially more tragic, I think, because he is eventually shot down. This is also all true. He is captured, and according to uh, accounts from Japanese sailors that were captured at, at the time, this is how he died. Wow. They, they interrogated him. He wouldn't give any information away, and so they tied him to an anchor and threw him overboard. And that is exactly how he went out. And again, like he knew that was going to happen. You you see it in the movie, you know, and it's brutal and it's uh, it's powerful to see that kind of commitment. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, that's 
again, that's one of those things with the historical accuracy that really just elevates this film to, I mean, this, this battle was interesting and intense enough to where you can make a movie and have all these great action scenes and engage the audience. But then because it's historically accurate, it, it's, it just makes you go, wow, what else can you say? But I can't believe that really happened. And, and it gives you a whole, it gives you a different appreciation for not only the filmmakers, but again, for these, brave men you know and and that that fought in this and um when i watched the history channel thing touching upon one of the commendations you read uh when you when you were talking about how the 14 out of 15 planes were shot down i saw that same thing and was like oh my gosh they said only one returned and all 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 of them knew what they were getting into and the fact that they paved the way for the others to come through and, and be successful it's that kind of sacrifice i can't imagine and and grateful for the people that have done things like that to, to protect us. Yeah, me too. I'm going to end. I just want to read real quick and it's really very short is it's just, this is the inscription uh, on the battle of Midway section of the national world war two Memorial in the Washington DC on the mall battle of Midway, June 4th through 7th, 1942. They had no right to win yet. They did. And in doing so, they changed the course of a war even against the greatest of odds. There is something in the human spirit, a magic blend of skill, faith, and valor that can lift men from certain defeat to incredible victory. And I think that says it all, and I think that's beautiful. And with that, we will wrap. Um, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. There goes my voice and uh, getting through this with me. I, I really appreciate it. This meant a lot to me, and so it's been great to talk to you about it. Where can people find your stuff? I mentioned real spoilers earlier. What? Give us everything. Tell us everything you're doing out there in the world and how people can get your content. Well, thank you again for having me. It was a pleasure to finally collaborate on an episode with you, and I'm glad to be a part of something that meant so much to you. So that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I do a podcast called Real Spoilers, and it's a weekly show. We do two episodes. One episode is a movie news update and box office update. So you get that usually on the Tuesday uh, of the week. And then on the Thursday, usually it's Thursday, sometimes Wednesday, if I've got the time to edit uh, that quickly. But we give you the movie review, and it's spoiler-filled, as the title uh, leads to there, real spoilers. Uh, but we pick usually what we think will be the biggest movie of the week, the movie people are most interested in. Uh, so it usually ends up being like a big blockbuster or superhero movie. Um, you know, uh, but, but sometimes we, we switch it up a little bit. Sometimes if, if we don't think it will lend to a very good discussion, comedies sometimes don't, uh, we go into some of the other movies, but wide variety. We cover everything on the show, but it is spoiler rich. We are kind of like a book club for movies. So we go through, uh, the major plot details, dissect them, talk about them, uh, and discuss any background that we may have on the subject or, or know about these actors or, or the filmmakers. Um, but yeah, we go through the movie. We have a lot of fun. It's not a strictly academic podcast or anything. You know, we joke around. We have fun. It's a very casual conversation between friends that all love movies. Uh, so you can find us there. You know, just search for us, Real Spoilers, on we're on all the podcast providers. You can follow us on social media at Real Spoilers on Twitter. Uh, the main active hub for us is Facebook.com/RealSpoilers, and we have a group discussion there called the League of Show Shares. So you can find that on the Facebook page uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at Kevin R. Brackett. Awesome, man. Thank you again. Listeners, a couple quick announcements as we end this episode. Our November donor pick has been chosen by the awesome patrons this month. And the winner is finally 
After multiple losses, it has failed like three times before this, but now the Shawshank Redemption is victorious, and so for our month celebrating friendship, we're actually pretty pumped, Patrick and I, because we were hoping it would win. We've actually been hoping it would win, but it kept losing. That's the best thing adaptation in my mind. It it is. We agree, and we're so psyched to get to talk about this one uh, later this month. So thank you, patrons, for doing that. If you want to become a patron uh, and lend your support, even for as little as a dollar a month, it all helps. You can do that at patreon.com slash feelinfilm. This week, uh, keep an eye on our social media channels and our website for a review of Frozen 2. That means I have to rewatch Frozen 1 at some point in the next few days, I suppose. Uh, Oh, that's (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. We didn't even plan that. That's great. Uh, And possibly... Uh, reviews of Honey Boy and Waves as well, maybe Dark Waters. I am seeing so many movies that I can't keep in them straight anymore, but there's also all these embargoes to take into account. Just know that if you follow us at Feel and Film on Twitter or join the Facebook group or even just follow the podcast on Facebook, you'll get notified about all that stuff. And of course, feelandfilm.com, you can find all the reviews there. A week from now, we will start gearing up for awards season with our conversation about James Mangold's racing biopic, Ford vs. Ferrari. Spoiler alert here, but uh, I guess inside baseball, whatever you want to call that, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's one of the, the best films of the year. I have no doubt that Patrick's going to love it, and it's going to be an amazingly fun discussion. Uh, my review is out now for that on our website, and... Uh, I'm looking forward to next week. So we definitely encourage you to get your tickets to that on opening weekend and then tune in for the discussion in next week's episode. That is it for us until next week. Thank you for listening. And Kevin, thank you so much for being on. I hope we can do it again soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling filmed.